Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Okay, good morning. So I want to start with a question. Is there anyone here today who's ever felt overlooked or abandoned? Anyone here or maybe watching online and you feel that over the past year it's been a struggle and you've wanted to give up? You've maybe found yourself complaining a lot? This morning, what I want to do is to bring some encouragement to speak into those situations from God's Word. So as Pastor Phil said, my name's Peter and I serve on the team here at R8. It's great to have you with us, both in the room and watching online. And if you are listening later, maybe to the podcast, I'd encourage you to, to keep listening through to the final point, as I think that'll be particularly relevant if you're listening to the podcast, maybe in the gym or out for a run. But I need to start this morning with an apology. I need to apologize to the guys over in the crash team. You see, my daughter, Ada, every week she goes to crash. She loves it, apart from the weeks whenever I'm speaking. She has the most unsettled weeks and usually ends up needing taken out. So apologies, guys, in advance for what's probably going to be a tough morning. <laughs> this morning, I'm going to spend some time thinking about whenever God led the people of Israel out of Egypt, the Exodus. Although, looking around the room, maybe I should have been speaking about Noah. The Exodus is a story I can relate to because it involves a long hike, which is something I quite enjoy. I think it has some great lessons to teach us about following God as we come, hopefully, to the end of one season with the transition from summer into autumn, and hopefully also with a season of transition from necessary restrictions to a season with hopefully a bit more freedom. For those of you who are taking notes, the title I've given this message is, This is Not the End, The Journey Has Just Begun. And if you aren't taking notes, can I encourage you to maybe give it a try, either on your phone or go old school, get a notebook and a pen, because I find whenever I take notes, I'm able to focus better, and whenever I focus better, I hear more directly what God wants to say, and I find I can focus better on my note-taking if my note-taking device doesn't also have social media on it. <laughs> whenever I'm up here, I can see who's using their phone to take notes and who's using it to swipe right. <laughs> I won't call you out, but I will be passing your name on to our prayer team later. So what I have to share this morning may not be new information because there's nothing new under the sun, but my prayer is that it would take on new life today, that you would resolve to live it out with a renewed passion and with urgency. So as we prepare our hearts this morning to hear from God, let me just take a moment to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak. Father God, we thank you that you are astounding, that your love is amazing. We pray that for each person here today and listening and watching online, that you would speak into our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would let these words be your words, not my words. Let them resonate and let us apply them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before we jump into the word, a little bit of context. By the time of Moses, the people of Israel had been living in Egypt in slavery for 400 years. Initially, they'd arrived there voluntarily at the time of famine, whenever Joseph with his dream coat were running the show. But as the years had passed and they became more numerous, the Egyptians became less and less tolerant of them. They treated them as slaves, used them for building projects. You see, Egypt wasn't where the people of Israel belonged. They'd been given a promise from God that there was a promised land for them to live in, a land flowing with milk and honey. But for 430 years, they'd found themselves stuck in Egypt, making bricks for little reward. And then God spoke to Moses, telling him he was to be the one to lead the people out of Egypt to the land God had promised them. If you've grown up in church, 
Maybe you'll be familiar with the 10 plagues that preceded Pharaoh letting the people of Israel go before he then changed his mind and chased after them, catching them as they were on the banks of the Red Sea. Which brings us to where the first passage we're looking at this morning picks up. You see, up to this point, God had been leading the people of Israel, guiding them from Egypt into the wilderness with cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He'd led them to the shore of the Red Sea, and as the Egyptian army approached with their chariots and strong warriors, the Israelites felt trapped. They thought Moses had just led them out into the wilderness to die. That's where we find them as we jump into the text in Exodus 14, verses 21 and 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. You see, whenever it seemed impossible, when all hope seemed lost, when defeat and destruction at the hands of the Egyptian army seemed certain, God made a way. He brought deliverance to the people of Israel by parting the sea, making a way for them to walk through on dry ground. He brought the victory. The people of Israel didn't do anything to bring their deliverance. They didn't split the sea. It was a miracle act from God. When the people of Israel were in Egypt, they'd felt abandoned by God. They felt he had overlooked them, that he no longer cared for them. And the first thing that God told Moses to tell the Israelites was that he had heard them, that he remembered them, that he was going to be faithful to the promises he'd made them. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning, feeling abandoned by God. Maybe you feel overlooked. Maybe life isn't going the way you thought it would. Maybe you feel stuck. It seems like everyone else is moving forwards whilst you're stuck going backwards. Maybe the past year and a half has taken a heavy toll on your family, your business, your mental health. I think a lot of us can relate to feeling disregarded by God in this season. And the first thing that we learn from the Exodus is that God never forgets or overlooks his people. If you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, then he will never abandon you. No matter the circumstances of life, there's nothing that's going to separate us from God's love. The Exodus reminds us that God cares for his people. It reminds us that God has a plan for deliverance. But the Exodus also reminds us that it won't necessarily happen in our timing. It won't necessarily happen when we want or expect it. You see, the people of Israel had to wait 430 years in Egypt. They felt abandoned. They felt there was no hope. But God had a plan, and his timing is not our timing, but his timing is perfect. If this morning sees you feeling stuck and overlooked in your own personal Egypt, I want to encourage you, keep holding on. Keep trusting God. He has not forgotten you. You see, during the Exodus, God brought deliverance for the people of Israel by leading them through the sea. He divided the waters and made a way for them to walk through. They didn't work to earn it. It was a gift from God. They were able to go from certain death at the hands of the Egyptian army to the freedom and safety of the shore on the other side. And it was a foreshadowing of the salvation that God has for all of us. Whenever we put our faith in Jesus, God takes us from death to eternal life. We need salvation because our sinful rebellion leaves us cut off from God. The simplest definition I can give you of sin is that it's missing the mark, falling short of God's standards, and we all sin. No one lives a perfect, righteous life. Everyone sins in different ways, but in one way or another, and usually, to be honest, in many multiple ways, we all fall short of God's standards. We all go our own way rather than following the guidelines that he puts in place for our protection. When we sin, it's an act of rebellion against God, and it leaves us cut off from the relationship he desires us to have. Sin doesn't make us bad. It makes us dead. 
But just as the Israelites weren't abandoned in Egypt, God doesn't leave or abandon us in our sin. He's made salvation possible. You see, the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus paid the debt for our sin with his blood. The sinless lamb became the sacrifice that makes salvation possible for all of us. Our salvation came at a high price, though it's a free gift. Never forget what Jesus was prepared to go through for our deliverance. You see, for the Israelites to receive deliverance required a step of faith. They had to walk into that parted sea, trusting that the waters would stay parted until they'd reached the other shore. And we receive our salvation through faith as well. We don't work to earn it. Jesus has paid the price, but we have to put our faith in Jesus. We have to come to him, acknowledging that we are sinners, acknowledging that we can't do anything about it on our own strength and efforts, and ask him for the forgiveness that his death on the cross alone has made possible. When we do this, we will receive that free gift of salvation. We get restored into a relationship with God, our loving Father, our good Father, and we receive that free gift of eternal life. If you have been around church much, that's likely something that you'll have heard many times. My hope is that it is a reality to you, but maybe today you're sitting here and you've never had that moment of coming to Jesus and surrendering to him. So I want to encourage you. Today, there is no better time than right now to respond to Jesus, to receive his salvation, to receive that deliverance. If that is you this morning, if you need to accept Jesus' offer of forgiveness and new life, please do respond to him. If you're watching online, maybe send us a message. If you're here in the room, come and speak to someone afterwards. His arms are open wide. They are ready to welcome you. Do make that decision today. And those of you that have already given your life to Jesus, you've been to church for some time. You're probably getting excited now because usually a call to receive Jesus signals that the sermon's coming to an end, and that would mean that this would be a pretty short message and you'll be home early for your Sunday dinner. But the bad news is there's no rule anywhere in the Bible that says that has to be how it happens. I've read right the way through Leviticus and it doesn't say that anywhere, that a sermon has to end after people are invited into God's family. So I thought right in the middle of the message would be a great time to give people a chance to respond so that they can start applying the rest of the message rather than having to wait till next week for more content. You see, the main point of my message this morning is looking at what happened to the people of Israel after the Exodus after that moment of deliverance, after they'd walked through the Red Sea. You see, Exodus 14 ends with the people of Israel safely on the other side of the Red Sea. The final verse of Exodus 14, verse 31, tells us that Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So I want to spend a bit of time considering what happened next. You see, it would be great if we could just end the story there if we could just stop our Bible readings at that point and that if at that stage the, the Israelites just stayed on the promised land, living happily, believing in the Lord, sin-free from then onwards. But unfortunately, that's not the way it happened. So here's where we need to have a bit of a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift is a change in thinking. You see, often in church circles, we can be guilty of giving the impression that salvation is the end of the story. You pray a prayer of repentance, you raise your hand at an altar call, and then that's it. You've received salvation and now all we have to do is just sit back and wait until either Jesus returns or we die and go to heaven. But here's the thing. Whenever the Israelites walked through the Red Sea, they weren't in the promised land. They had received deliverance, but they weren't in the promised land. There was still quite a distance for them to travel. The promised land of Israel was over 160 miles away from the point of the Red Sea. Even for me and my fondness of getting a high daily step count, that's still quite a long walk. You see, going through the Red Sea, it was just the start, not the end for Israel. 
And it's the same for us. Salvation is just the start of the journey. It's not the end point. Whenever we become Christians, we are justified. And when we're justified, we're totally forgiven of all sin and clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. When we get to heaven, we'll be glorified. We'll receive new perfected bodies that hopefully won't have any of the gray hairs that are beginning to blight me now. But between justification, which is a pastime event for those of us who have received Jesus, and glorification, which is a future event, we find ourselves in the here and now. And in this in-between of us putting our faith in Jesus and us getting to heaven, we're called to an ongoing process called sanctification. You see, as Pastor Phil reminded us a few weeks ago, whilst Jesus accepts us as we are, whenever we come to him, he loves us too much to leave us where we are. And sanctification is a lifelong process of growing to maturity through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. You see, we don't work to earn our salvation, but we do have to work out our salvation and work to grow in our salvation. It's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's an ongoing process. We won't be perfect in this life. Everyone here or watching online, no matter how long you've been a Christian for, no matter how many sermons you've heard, Bible studies you've been to, or worship songs you've sung, we all have room for improvement. I still mess up regularly, and if you don't believe me, spend a few moments speaking to my wife and she'll happily set the record straight. So you may be wondering, well, what is the point of sanctification? If we've been justified when we put our faith in Jesus, and if we are going to be glorified whenever we get to heaven, why bother with sanctification now? Why does it matter what we do with this in-between time? Well, you see, God hasn't just saved us so that we can go to heaven someday in the future. God cares about the here and now. He cares what happens during the rest of our earthly life. You see, he's prepared good plans and good works for us. He has a purpose for us to take the message of salvation to the world around us. And that's why sanctification matters, because the harvest around us is plentiful. There's great need all around us. And it's through that process of sanctification that we become better equipped to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a hurting world. It's through sanctification that we become better able to show the love and compassion of Jesus to friends and family who are searching for meaning in life. It's through the process of sanctification that we become better equipped whenever anyone asks us for a reason that the hope that's in us, to give them an answer that points to Jesus, our strong and steadfast hope. You see, sanctification matters because it enables us to be more effective as Christ's ambassadors, carrying his name and making him known in Portadown, in Craigavon, Armagh, and beyond. Knowing why we do what we do is vital because it gives us the motivation whenever life gets hard, whenever it doesn't seem appealing in the moment. Like I said, salvation is not the end of the story. It's only the start of the journey, and that journey requires us each day to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow Jesus. It requires us to take step after step, walking in the light and drawing closer to God. God works in us, transforming us from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God has order. He's set specific, predictable means that enable us to grow closer to Him. These means of grace that He's given us include prayer, Bible study, worship, fellowship, coming to church, serving. And often we can be lazy. We want sanctification just at the click of a finger, three easy steps with no real effort required on our part. But the process of sanctification is a lifelong commitment, making use of those means that God has given us every day. It's not just a one-time thing. This is a daily commitment that we're on. It's a journey that will take us right the way through our life. Whenever the Israelites were faced with the Red Sea, they had a choice to make. They could follow the means of grace God had put in place, or they could try and do their own thing. They could use the method God had, which was the sea split for them to walk through, or they could have tried their own method. Maybe they could have tried building a boat or going an alternate route. 
But given how rapidly the Egyptian army were approaching, they very wisely went with God's method. And we need to make sure that we make that same decision ourselves to follow God's methods so that we can grow in faith and spiritual maturity with the help of the Holy Spirit so that we can do all that God's called us for for the sake of inviting others into the kingdom. That's why sanctification matters. It matters because of the people that aren't yet in this room. So now as we come to look at the parting of the Red Sea, not as the end of the story, but as the start of a new journey of faith, we have to look at what happened to them as they reached the other side of the Red Sea. Unfortunately, we have the entire Old Testament from Exodus onwards to continue the story. Unfortunately for you, I'm going to go with the Cliff Notes version rather than drill into every detail. It all starts pretty well in Exodus 15. Moses and the people sing a song of praise, worshipping and thanking God for his protection and deliverance. And here's how we know that a miracle truly did happen. Moses gets to sing for about 15 verses, and his sister only sings for one verse. If any of you have grown up with brothers and sisters, you'll know that was definitely a miracle. But unfortunately, things go downhill pretty rapidly, as we see in Exodus 15, verses 23 and 24. So it says... When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? You see, within just a few verses, we see the people going from being miraculously saved by God, being thankful and worshipping God, to now they're complaining and grumbling about the taste of water. And it's a pattern that soon becomes a recurring theme. If we skip forward just a little into Exodus 16, in verses 2 and 3, again, the people are complaining. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. In Numbers chapter 13, moving even further forward, the Israelites do reach that land that God had promised them. And guess what? There's more grumbling. Moses sends 12 spies out to scout out the land, and 10 report back that the inhabitants are too strong and too numerous that the Israelites will just get slaughtered if they try to take possession of the land. And so, in Numbers chapter 14, the people grumble yet again. They're convinced that they're going to be killed. You see, God had worked a miracle bringing them out of Israel, leading them by fire and cloud, splitting the sea, providing water and food for them along the journey. And yet all they do is complain, grumble, and then ultimately doubt that God will be faithful. With the benefit of hindsight, it's easy to ridicule the Israelites for that, but maybe we aren't so different. As humans, we love to complain. You just need to take a look at TripAdvisor to see that's true. My favorite one recently was there was a news article about a guy in Wales who'd complained about a lake near Snowdonia, that it was 23 miles from the nearest McDonald's, so he only gave it two stars. <laughs> it can be easy getting caught up in the grumblings and frustrations of life. We love to complain about the weather. If it's wet, we complain. And when we have a rare, warm day, we complain we can't sleep. If you're anything like me, car journeys are a great source of grumbling. Hit a red light, grumble. Slow driver in front, grumble. Tractor in front, double grumble. <laughs> Seriously, though, it surely must be a sin to drive a tractor on a narrow country road with no overtaking opportunities during the morning rush hour. And before I get hate mail from any farmers, you need to take a read of Rule 169 of the Highway Code. <laughs> Check that later, any farmers that are listening and feeling convicted. We can also find ourselves easily grumbling about aspects of church life. One week, the coffee's too strong. The next week, it's too weak. We can grumble if there's someone sitting in our seat, if the worship team don't sing the songs we like, or if we don't like the preacher. Hopefully that's no one this week. 
Or if someone, not naming any names, plays the wrong note on the keys, <coughs> done. <laughs> and if the service was perfect, we would probably complain that there was nothing to complain about. Ultimately, the Israelites ended up having to wander in for 40 years in the desert because of their grumbling, complaining, and their lack of faith in the ability of God to do what he'd said he would do. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I realize more and more that time is short. We only have one life to live. It'll soon be past, and only what's done for Christ will last. We don't have time to waste. Whenever we live with a time is short mindset, we realize there's no point wasting the time that we have. There's no point devoting precious time and energy to grumbling and complaining, moaning and giving off. There's too much at stake in the here and now. Too many people going through life without the hope that we have in Jesus for us to waste 40 years just grumbling over trivial matters. We don't have time to waste grumbling over matters that are going to be forgotten by the end of the day. Now listen to me carefully on this. I'm not saying we just accept and embrace every hardship in life. What I'm saying is we can't waste time grumbling about trivial issues. When I talk about grumbling, I'm not talking about the legitimate concerns that many of us will have about serious issues. There are things that we should have discontent with, but it's possible to be discontent with all the injustices in the world, with what we see in Afghanistan and Haiti this week, without having an attitude of grumbling. You see, this side of eternity, there will be things that are not perfect. We live in a broken, fallen world, and we face the aftermath of sin, both our own, but also, unfortunately, often the aftermath of the sin of others that can frustrate us and cause us pain. And what's important is how we deal with those things that frustrate us. God wants us to bring our burdens and frustrations to Him. But what we must not do is allow those frustrations to cause us to doubt in God. You see, that's where the Israelites went wrong. They became so caught up in their grumblings that they lost sight of God. They wanted things sooner than God was ready to give to them, and they wanted the things more than they wanted God himself. They lost sight of who he was. They forgot that he's faithful forever. They forgot that he is perfect in love. They forgot that he was the miracle-working, way-making, promise-keeping God who'd led them out of Egypt. They lost perspective, and they began to believe that the problems they could see in front of them were bigger, were too big for God to handle. You see, that's the danger when we devote too much time to grumbling and complaining. We can become fixated on the problems rather than on the God who is able to handle all of our concerns, problems, and difficulties. Rather than grumble or moan, our first response should be to go to God, to surrender the situation into His hands, to seek His wisdom about how to act. You see, the hope that we have in life is that earth is not all that there is. In the scale of eternity, this life on earth is but the blink of an eye, so we must keep trusting in God. I don't want to belittle or dismiss any of the burdens or challenges anyone's facing today, because I know some of us will be walking through some, some really heavy, difficult situations. But I want to remind you, God is bigger than all that we face in life. There, there's no circumstance, no matter how difficult, no matter how weary it leaves you feeling, that can separate us from His love. We do go through storms, but we need not lose faith, because we have a strong anchor holding us secure. Though things may feel dark and bleak and grim right now, we have the hope of an eternity with God. We have the promise that He will dwell with us forever, and that the former things, the things that right now are giving us sleepless nights, the things that kept you up all night last night, they will pass away, and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore. But we're not there yet. But we do have that promise that that's where this journey we're on will lead us to. We must not be like the people of Israel who, the moment things got in the slightest bit tough, began looking back yearnfully at Egypt. 
They complained about the fact that Moses had brought them out of Egypt and they longed to go back to their old way of life. A life, remember, which had them oppressed as slaves with their baby sons murdered. Moses, on the other hand, he would have had every justification for wanting to go back to Egypt. He had lived the good life in Egypt. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, living the royal dream in the palace. He had all the trappings of wealth. And yet, he was willing to leave that all behind for the sake of pursuing God's will for his life. This is what's written about him in Hebrews 11, verses 24 and 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. I think we can often be like the people of Israel. We want to go back to the old ways. You just have to look at how keen people are to return to the pre-March 2020 normal life. And yet in 2019, I heard many of you grumbling about how stressed you were then, how short of cash you were, how little time you had to pursue all the things that you really wanted to do. And yet, the moment our old familiar way of life is disrupted, no matter how much we grumbled about it at the time, we want to go back. The people of Israel were prepared to turn around and go back to a life of slavery rather than the freedom in their own land God was bringing them to. And often, we can be just like them. Whenever we receive that gift of salvation, the power of Jesus' blood breaks every chain of sin that had previously held us captive. And yet, all too often, we choose to go back to our chains. We choose to go back to the old ways, back to the fleeting pleasures of sin. The devil can use all sorts of cunning and lies to lure us back. It won't hurt anyone. You've already done it so many times before. What's the harm in one more time? But whenever we give in to those lies, we're guilty, like the Israelites, of considering the treasures of Egypt of greater value than the eternal joy of being with Jesus. You see, we can't serve two masters. You can't have both Jesus and the things of Israel, or the things of Egypt, as your highest treasure in life. Egypt in the Bible represents wickedness, oppression, and bondage. The treasures, they may look good and appealing from a distance, but when you get close up, you realize too late that you're trapped in bondage and slavery. Whenever we choose the fleeting momentary pleasures, we're derailing that process of sanctification. No follower of Jesus is perfect. We will all stumble and mess up in some aspects of our life. But the fruit of a true life-changing encounter with Jesus is that our desires will be changed. We will want to become more like him and want to live in keeping with his will. We won't be content to continue pursuing the fleeting temporary pleasures. So you might be sitting here thinking, that's all well and good as head knowledge, but how do we get it to go down to the heart? How do we actually live it out? Maybe you've tried many times and you've got nowhere. Well, the good news is we don't have to rely on our own strength. We have the Holy Spirit helping us. So if you are struggling this morning with ongoing patterns of sin in your life, maybe what you need to do is ask the Holy Spirit to help give you perspective of the reward that awaits us in heaven. Ask the Holy Spirit for help in treasuring Jesus above all. It may mean suffering some disgrace in the eyes of the world, but we know that the treasures that await us are far greater than anything in the world. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you value your relationship with the creator of all things over your relationship with the ball. Ask the Holy Spirit to increase your desire for intimacy with the Lord of Lords rather than intimacy with a weekend fling. You see, just as the Israelites had not reached the promised land when they went through the Red Sea, we also have not reached our promised land. We still have a distance to go. I hope that encourages you today if you are feeling frustrated with the way things are in the world around us. This is not the end point in the journey. This is just a valley we're walking through. 
And as we walk through, God promises that he is with us in the valley to be with us and to comfort us. So as we move on to the final section, I don't know if you do much running. Maybe watching the Olympics over the last few weeks has inspired you to get more active. Personally, I'm not a very keen runner, but I have been talked into taking part in a marathon relay in Belfast in a few weeks by some friends, and by the time I'm next speaking here, they could well be former friends. But I have done a couple of park runs around Craigavon Lakes. The last time I was doing it, our Ironman Johnny Walker was at the start of the race, and I just want to point out that it did take me a bit of time to find him at the end to, to say hello to him. I definitely had not just finished whenever I came up to see, speak him, if he's listening to this. There was probably about 10 minutes or so that I was looking for him. He was very hard to find. But whilst I'm not an expert in running, I do know that whenever you run, there's certain basic steps you need to follow. You want to make sure you have the proper attire. You're not going to do well if you race in a three-piece suit. You should probably do a few stretches first. Unfortunately, Johnny isn't here this week, or we could get him up to do a demonstration. And depending on the distance that you're running, you need to think about bringing water with you. Sometimes for people doing long-distance running, they'll even bring a rucksack to bring some snacks for the race as well. And whilst I'm no running expert, here's what I know. Whenever you run, you don't want to carry any additional weight you only bring what's necessary. Why am I highlighting this? It's not because I think we need to go out and target a, an R8 gold at the 2024 Olympics, but it's an illustration used by the writer of the Book of Hebrews, and I think it's important and helpful for us to understand as we seek to explore what it means to be on a journey with God. So this is written in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's what I think we need to take from this. First of all, note how we're told, run with endurance. That's very intentional. God has called us to run spiritually. He's calling us to constantly move forward, to grow deeper in our personal relationship with him, to not be content with where we are, but to seek to grow closer to him, and to do so by running. You see, God desires that we come to him quickly. He doesn't want us putting it off. He doesn't want us getting distracted. He wants us to run to him with all of our strength and energy. And running with endurance, it requires consistency. You see, athletes don't just turn up at the Olympics once every four years and hope for the best. They're out on the practice track every day, getting ready. And for us to run with endurance, it requires consistency. It means committing to regular time daily with God, spending time with his people. It means making church a priority, be it this church or be it another church, but being committed to a body of believers and showing up every week. You see, if you want to grow in Christian maturity and sanctification, you're going to need to spend some time with Christians who are more mature than you. We're called to run with endurance. And if we're to run with endurance, the implication there is that there's going to be some things that we have to endure. It means the journey won't always be easy. The Christian life isn't a sprint race that's over quickly. It's more like a marathon, a long journey throughout our life. There will be challenges along the way, I'm afraid. There will be times we feel like throwing in the towel and quitting. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you can probably think of people, sadly, who have given up, people who started out on that journey that are no longer running, who have abandoned Jesus. I don't want that to happen to us we must ask God to strengthen our resolve to run with endurance. Maybe you thought the storm would have passed by now. Maybe you thought face masks would be a distant memory by now. 
Maybe you thought you'd be married by now or in your dream job by now. Maybe you didn't think he would have walked out. Maybe you expected you would have had kids by now. Or you do have children and you thought that they would have been sleeping all night by now. And Ada, take note, please. Make that your application. Maybe you hoped the prodigal would have returned home by now. Maybe you expected there would have been healing by now. Jesus promises us, or rather warns us, that in this world we will have trouble. It's not going to be plain sailing. There will be hardships. Life will throw us curveballs. But Jesus also gives us encouragement. He tells us to take heart, for he has overcome the world. When the storms come, our response must not be to just grumble and complain about how bad the storm is, but instead we must choose to look up, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Yes, our problems may be big, but our God is bigger. He has overcome all the problems we face in life, no matter what you're facing, no matter how bad the storm seems. Through the cross, Jesus has overcome all things. The only way we can run with endurance is by looking to Jesus. You see, if we rely on encouraging words from those around us, we'll soon run out of energy as the encouragement dries up when life gets hard. If we rely on our present circumstances to keep us going, we'll soon run out of steam as things start to get difficult. The Christian life will not be easy. There will be sacrifices, hardships, and even rejection from the people around us. It's only whenever we look to Jesus, when we treasure him above all, that we'll be able to endure. We're also called to cast aside every weight and sin to free us to run. It makes sense that we need to lay aside sin. Sin is destructive. That's probably not new information for anyone who's been at church before, that as we strive to grow in our relationship with God, we need to actively work at putting to death the sinful patterns in our life. But I also illustrated a couple of minutes ago about how our runner doesn't carry any necessary weight. As the band comes back up, let me take a moment to point out weight. You see, weight represents things that aren't sinful. They could be good things, but they aren't the best things that God has for us. They're things that hinder us from all that God has planned for us, things that limit us from reaching the potential he's given us. For everyone, weight's going to look different but we all have weight we need to lay aside as we seek to go forward in this journey with God. Things that distract us from spending time with Jesus. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's the video games, maybe it's the pursuit of your career. None of these things are necessarily bad in and of themselves, but they can slow us down, becoming a weight that hinders us or even derails us in our journey of faith. So maybe it's time to set down the video game controller Time to stop trying to rescue virtual princesses and get out there and do something meaningful in the world around you to bring the kingdom on earth as in heaven. Maybe it's time to stop spending real money buying virtual football cards in a video game in the hope of getting a good player for a game that's going to be replaced with a new version in a few months anyway, and instead use that time and money to get some good Bible study guides and go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. And hopefully this is a safe place for me to admit to Cherif. I've done that again this week. The money on Bible study guides, not the video game, in case anyone's wondering. Maybe we need to stop following hundreds of acquaintances on social media, reading their every update and watching every story to see what they're eating, and instead be intentional about meeting up with two or three close friends to get coffee, read the word, and share what's really going on in the heart, rather than just posting up more heavily edited filtered highlights. Maybe you need to stop staying up late on a Saturday night, watching Match of the Day and reading all the social media analysis of the day's football, and instead, get to bed at a sensible hour so you can get yourself up for the prayer time here at 8 on a Sunday morning. And if you're a wife or a girlfriend nudging your partner at this point, maybe you need to substitute in football for EastEnders or Bridgerton or Love Island. <laughs> We're called to run while looking to Jesus, with our eyes fixed on him. 
You see, God knows our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. There's many things in life that will try to get our attention, many things that can distract us. We must be discerning. We have to be on the lookout, not just for patterns of sin in our life, but also for those things that aren't bad, but also aren't best. We have to daily resolve to ask the Holy Spirit to help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We have to ask for help, treasuring him above all. As we bring things into land this morning, let me try and tie some things together. We face a far worse threat than the Egyptian army. We face eternity separated from God if we haven't put our trust in Jesus. But we also have a far better deliverance than a parted Red Sea. We have the Son of God who died on a cross in our place to bring us salvation, taking the rebellion, taking the punishment we deserved for our sin and rebellion. When we put our faith in Jesus, we start a journey that doesn't take us to a promised land on earth, but to a promised eternal kingdom. While the Israelites had to wander in the desert for 40 years before they reached the promised land, we've no way of knowing how long the journey of life will be for us. But just as God led the people of Israel on their journey, we have now the Holy Spirit to help us, to equip us, to strengthen us, and to guide us through the journey. We no longer have to struggle through life on our own, but we can run with endurance through his help. So maybe today this message finds you feeling stuck in Egypt. You're awaiting deliverance, and your response today is to receive that free gift, to take the first step on that journey, and to accept Jesus as your Savior. Maybe today that's something you've already done, but you haven't moved very far forward. Maybe today you need to be reminded that God doesn't call us to make a one-time decision, but to come on a journey with him. This is an ongoing process, day by day. Start using the means he's given us, like daily time in prayer and time in the Word this week. Maybe today you're going through some stuff, and the take-home for you is that God has not forgotten you. He doesn't leave us to do it alone. The Holy Spirit is with all who put their trust in Jesus, giving us the strength to run with endurance. The run may be hard, but the reward waiting for us at the finish line is always worth it. Maybe today you feel weary, you've been running, and you feel low on energy to keep going. Remember today, we do not have to rely on our own strength, but we have the Holy Spirit giving us strength to run with endurance. And maybe today, you are on that journey. You are running, but there's still some things weighing you down, some stuff that's distracting you from the purposes and plans that God has for you. Maybe today, you need to let go of some weight and refocus your eyes on Jesus so you can run and not grow weary. Wherever you're at today, I'm going to pray for all of us that the Holy Spirit would be at work and would enable us to apply whatever has resonated. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the deliverance that you give us through your Son. We thank you that through his blood, our sin has been paid for. We receive that gift of salvation. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be with us this week. Help us apply the word. Help us live it out. Help us run with endurance. Help us treasure Jesus. Be with us this week, we pray. Amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.